Welcome to A Different Way of Traveling. This is a podcast where we discuss travel for persons with disabilities and special needs in South Africa and beyond with our host, Lois Strachan. Join us as we share inspiring stories of people who travel, exciting accessible travel experiences, and showcase service providers who will accommodate those with special needs. And now, on with the show. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of A Different Way of Travelling, a podcast on accessible travel brought to you by Accessible South Africa. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. Today, we're going to be chatting with Taryn Tomlinson from Able to Travel about a recent trip that she took in a wheelchair up Mount Kilimanjaro, which is the highest mountain peak on the African continent. This is a great story, so I don't want to waste any of your time. Let's dive straight into that interview and meet Taryn Tomlinson. Today on A Different Way of Travelling, we are chatting to Taryn Tomlinson, who is a consultant in the hospitality industry and is a social activist. Taryn, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. I can't complain. The sun is shining um, and it seems to be a lovely day out there. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. We've got a lot of ground to cover and I'm really, really intrigued to hear some of the details of the story that we're going to talk about today. But before we talk about the specific story that I want to chat to you about, can you maybe just give a a brief introduction of yourself to our audience? Absolutely. Well, you know, as as, as we chatted briefly about this the last time that uh, I would consider myself an inquisitive soul who absolutely loves to explore. Um, And and as a result thereof, I tend to do many projects, um, you know, that bring me joy. One of them is that I'm a consultant within the hospitality industry. Um, so I focus specifically for accessible travel for people with disabilities. Now, I myself have a disability. I've rheumatoid arthritis um, since about the age of 19, which has uh, left me uh, to be a wheelchair user. And it was really in, you know, firsthand experience of traveling. Um, I, I lived in Italy for but a couple of years ago, and I was fortunate enough to live in a hotel and stay in many hotels there. Um, and then when I came back to South Africa, likewise, I would always have people, friends visiting from overseas, and I would stay in a hotel with them. And it was really from that point that I got to see the ins and outs of the hotel industry and hospitality industry, and which of the services are made available for people with disabilities and which not. Um, and then I also have a nonprofit organization, which has been my passion project for the past 10 years. And uh, we help underprivileged kids with music and art therapy and also cognitive therapies. Uh, so teaching them how to use their mind uh, for success um, and to think in terms that is much bigger than the set of circumstances. 
Um, and then over and above that, I also write for Mango Airlines um, on accessibility. So I have quite a big section in Mango, a double page spread on which every month I write about a particular issue pertaining to the topic of the month um, regarding accessibility and accessible travel. So, you know, if, if, if to sum it up, I would say that I'm passionate about understanding the mind-body connection and then how we can use that to make a better world um, or, or, you know, have better lives individually, but also then on a, on a bigger scale. So a lady, many talents and many different projects. <laughs> Absolutely. Great. Well, you mentioned that you lived for a while in Italy, but let's yes. talk just very generally about the travels that you've done so far. Have you traveled quite widely and what sort of places have you visited? You know, funny enough, ever since uh, the first time that I went overseas was in 2008. And uh, I went to Italy, went for a holiday of 18 days, came back to South Africa. And four weeks later, I was back in Italy. And I actually ended up living there for two years. Um, and in my time there, I had traveled Italy extensively. Um, one of my favorite, my, some of my favorite places are Rome, um, as well as Sicily. Um, which, yeah, it is. And I find that in all these years, I've been going back. The only other places that I've been to is via the airports, so Dubai and and, and Ethiopia and <laughs> and the other airlines where I stop over. But, you know, it's like Italy is such a big pull on me that every two years I go back and I explore more and more places um, I, there. So that's really my passion. I mean, this year, I went to uh, Tanzania, which also blew my mind. Um, so, yeah, it's I, I would really like to focus more on traveling around Africa, um, you know, this year into next year, and then definitely go back uh, to Europe again. There's just something about, you know, the, the old world that, that really just appeals to me. Not to my wheelchair, because it's quite a schlep. Um, you know, I had these visions when I was still uh, walking about that I couldn't wait to go to Europe so I can walk along the cobblestone <laughs> streets. And <laughs> the reality was quite a disaster. <laughs> I, so the I wheels getting stuck. The trip up Mount Kilimanjaro, let's go back to that trip. How did that all come about? So um, I was all asked to join a group called Guts to Glory. Um, who champions sports for people with disabilities. Um, so I had known the owner, uh, well, the, the founder of the, the foundation, a South African woman who currently lives in Switzerland. And uh, she's got this NGO in which she supports people, uh, athletes with disabilities to try and get them to levels to compete internationally if they are interested in bodybuilding and, and you know, those types of pursuits. And so um, she wanted to, uh, they've already been up in a few years ago, four years ago to Kilimanjaro. And uh, so this was the second trip. Um, this time was the first time that they had people with wheelchairs that accompanied uh, the trip. The last time it was mostly amputees. And so we were three people uh, with wheelchairs and two amputees that went up this time. And uh, yeah, it was just a drive to raise awareness. Um, you know, that it, in, in my books, it's truly your attitude that determines your altitude. And to show that, uh, you know, together, there are so many things that we can overcome, uh, like reaching the top, because 
I mean, make no mistake about it. If you're in a wheelchair, you have have a disability, you are not getting to the top of the mountain alone, even able-bodied people. Um, you know, we need guides and porters um, who help you to the top. Uh, and uh, so, you know, it is about creating that, that awareness about uh, the possibilities and the abilities of people who are, yes, diversely abled. So quite a quite a remarkable group, I think, of um, yeah. people to be, be traveling with. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, everybody, you know, and it's very um, informative and eye-opening because for the first time I traveled with a group of people with disabilities. Um, and, you know, we just, you hear about each other's stories, you become sensitized to you know, each other's needs. I mean, because we out there in the mountain, um, at one stage I had got an attack of a stomach bug. And um, yeah, <laughs> not, the, not the kind of thing that's going to happen to you when you're on a mountain, <laughs> a narrow pathway with no toilet inside. It's these small things that are the challenges, not the mountain itself. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, they, the, the guards had to run with me uh, to the loo. And, uh, you know, your teammates are there. They're with you all <laughs> the way. So there's no running past these things uh, or getting away from these icky moments that we all have to go through. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. It, but it was just done in a, in a wonderful way. I must say the guides were absolutely, porters were absolutely amazing. Oh, that's good to hear. That must have taken quite a fair bit of preparation, though. So what sort of things did you have to do to prepare mentally, physically, um, to... Yeah. So much of when we travel with a disability is about managing the uncertainties because... You can't problem solve everything before you get there. You can't anticipate everything. But there's a certain amount of preparation that we can do. So what did you put in place for those? Well, yeah, I must say that I, I prepared quite, quite well for it. Um, mentally, for, the mental preparation was simply a decision, and I'm very much like that. Once I decide to do something, I've decided. And I think only about the experience, the joy that is about to uh, confront me. And obviously I do think about the possible and the, the, you know, the possible pitfalls of the things that will make it difficult. And when I do think about them, the only thing I think next is, okay, you know, what do I need to do in order to prevent this or that, or, you know, protect myself. So mental as aspect, I was very positive and excited um, about going. And then I just prepared by teaming up with uh, some bodies. So the first body that I teamed up with was the Sports Science Institute of South Africa. And uh, they trained me um, physically. Uh, and so I would go for um, sessions at the Sports Science twice a week. Um, and I was working with a biokineticist there. And uh, that was an amazing experience. Um, I laughed actually coming back because not once on the mountain could I even push myself because, <laughs> because of the steepness and of the rocks. So I pushed myself more in the airport coming back uh, using all my training that I actually did on the mountain. 
but uh, the training also made sure that you know it's it's really your cardio uh, cardiovascular system that needs to be in tip top shape when you're going up the mountain to uh, better prepare you for things like altitude sickness, mm. uh, shortness of breath, um, you know, uh, and so that really helped in 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 really just getting my fitness levels um, much better. Um, my body much more oxygenated and uh, you know the other big problem up there is gear because you're looking at uh, when you on summit or close to base from base camp up to summit you're looking at degrees which can vary between uh, you know um, minus 11 and minus 36 um, degrees and uh, so I knew that gear that having the proper Clothing was going to be vital for me, especially because I'm sitting down in the wheelchair. So, you know, I'm not moving my legs as much as someone uh, would when they're walking. And so circulation as well. Right. Um, And so you've got to keep warm because you're feeling colder. And so I teamed up with uh, K-Way South Africa, who was great in in coming on board and and getting me kitted with the Kilimanjaro uh, part of the Kilimanjaro range um so that i could be nice and warm and then of course the mechanics of the, of the wheelchair and that was another big you know um thing that needed to be addressed because firstly i can't have the, the tires that i would use on the road usually um they needed to be a thicker tire mountain bike type tire um and then also the tire the, the wheelchair itself need to be uh, retrofitted for for the trip because I've got these short handles at the back uh, with a low backrest. Um, so my chair is actually an, uh, an Otterbock uh, chair for which I'm an ambassador. And uh, they needed to take my chair in, send it to Germany um, about a month before leaving so that they can fit proper handles and stuff like that. And I had to take spare tires with me and, you know, all of these extras, because as you said, if you've got a disability, you've got a, you're not just packing your bag and, and going. There are all of these contingency, you know, things and that you have to plan for. Yeah. And, and if you, you have, have a, bring with. if you have a problem with a with a tire, it's not the sort of thing you can just pop to the nearest shop and. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then how are you getting down the mountain? You know, <laughs> it's uh, so I had to carry a spare tire with me, um, and I had to have these um, a tire kit repair kit. Uh, along as well in all of these screws and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was uh, looking at this and thinking, okay, gosh, um, you know, once the hardware was there, check, you know, the, the, the wheelchair that was all sorted and physically I was fit and uh, cleared by the doctors. And then I had the protective gear that, that I really needed to. And it also helped uh, to have, because I worked in the tourist, work in the tourism industry. I also had people from the, um, in Tanzania, in the tourism industry, from the Serengeti Villa Lodge, waiting uh, for me and my group at the airport, and that that was also such a beautiful touch because it makes you feel welcomed and that you don't feel like a fish out of water when you're in a foreign country, especially people with disabilities. Um, given that when we got there, our driver and and uh, organizer had had um, mixed up our times. And so when we got there, they weren't there, but luckily, you know, our group of people from the tourism, uh, from the hotel, they were there to greet us. And uh, and so it made that part like really smooth. And it does help. I think any, yeah. 
any reassurance can go a long way to just getting those those nervousness and the anxiety about what is going to happen on this trip. It can really help to just yeah. ease those a little bit. So, Absolutely. take us through the ascent, a little bit of the logistics yeah. of how you manage that and how you and your team coped. Yeah. So, as I said, we got in, we were set to climb on the 2nd of March. We got in a couple of days before that. On the 1st, we did the Kilimanjaro Marathon, which is this massive marathon that happens every year in Kilimanjaro. People flying from all over the world uh, to run. We did a half marathon, fun day. And um, then the next day on the 2nd, we, we planned and uh, we all left together in a bus. You get to the gate where you go and you register um, and pay your fees to actually get into the, the national park. Um, and from there, I mean, we worked closely with um, the Moja Safari uh, tour group. And so they arranged everything um, from the bus to, you know, our entire holiday uh, there. And uh, you leave with your guides. We had four guides each. Um, well, able-bodied people had two guides. People with disabilities, we had four and once you register, they give you, we had a little lunch um, at the registration part, and then we just started walking. Now, the first couple, I would say probably the first half an hour to 40 minutes was on a lovely tar road at the beginning part of the National Park. And then things got tricky, where you now start hitting the jungle. And uh, in the jungle, as you can imagine, there's so many tree stumps and rocks and moss and water coming down. So it's quite slippery and treacherous and mud. And I can tell you for that first day, my nerves were on end because I'm now with these new guides that just met me and they have no experience of, you know, my wheelchair and, and or wheelchair carrying in general. And so we're really learning by trial and error. And now you have to put your faith in people who are essentially needing to lift the entire wheelchair up and carry me over stumps. And sometimes they slipped and, and I just hung on for dear life. But, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was quite harrowing until you get to the first base camp, uh, to the first uh, camp, sorry, Um where by the time we got there the evening, it was so cold already. I think that we don't often understand just how high, you know, this mountain is because Kilimanjaro is not a steep face mountain. It's, it's, it looks like quite a gradual, you know, uh, mountain, but uh, the temperatures because it's so high. So you're ready from day one, you're feeling cold. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I just hit straight back into my room and we were even supposed to go upstairs for dinner with everybody, but I just I was too cold and couldn't be bothered of the journey of sitting all day as well, you know, um, being carried. And I mean, because you, we, we trek in for hours a day. And uh, the second day was the longest. It, it was supposed to be a six hour trek that took us 12 hours. Oh, my word. And was I was the last person out in the mountain at one stage. It was dark. Um, we were in this, so we are high up now. It's pitch dark, thunder, lightning. 
uh, happening all around. The other people are uh, back at, at the hut already. Um, and my team, they had to send some other guys to come in and help as well. So there I was with like eight of the most wonderful Tanzanian uh, men porters who were trekking with me in the dark, just like two lamps and getting over boulders and rocks. And and uh, by the time we eventually made it to to the, the camp, I think I was like a frozen block. Um, so in no way is it comfortable. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know, it, I think if people think about someone doing doing any ultra distance or any extreme activity in a wheelchair it just sounds so simple all you have to do mm. is sit there but it's not like that at all because your body Absolutely. is still taking stress you have to that there's there's a huge amount that's going on that's placing stress and strain on you let alone the question of trust with people that you yeah. don't know yet that are strangers to you who are only learning what you are capable of and what you're not capable of. Yeah. Emotionally, that must be exhausting. It is. Tell us it about is. that. Emotionally, it was. See, so now you also have the language barrier. So now you also have a language barrier when you're trying to explain to the people who are pushing you what to do and how to take you. So that makes it even more, you know, I draining but luckily I've got a very good way with people and also with you know communication making myself understood um and the group of guys that I had the one guy spoke very well he's English and then so it was you know they they also lessened that burden but it is extremely stressful um because essentially your life is in the hand of someone else and then you know, sometimes someone is taking on this side and then you say, no, 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 don't take that there, you know, on the wheelchair because that will come off. And then maybe they, they didn't hear you or something like that. And so, and then you can see you going over a boulder and then, you know, this is going to turn into a horrible mess. And so daily it is about confronting fears and obstacles in your way, every step of the way. I mean, the only time you really are relaxed is when you hit the camp and you're in your room and you can, sort out your things and um but everything is is different you have the cold conditions that you have to um go against i know one of the the guys that was with us he had some pins in his back because um he had been in the wheelchair because of the of he was shot uh, ex-police officer and uh i know that that up and down movement that bumpy you know, also had him in quite a bit of pain at certain points. Um, and likewise with me, you know, legs bent for hours, you know, st- stiffness settles in, um, you're not moving around, you, your back is luckily also we had my, because I had one of those K-way rucksacks um, and that protected as a bit of a back rest because it's got a bit of a hard back. So we just put it over my handles. So, I could at least have my neck and my back straight leaning again somewhere because you remember that a lot of the time they're not just carrying me, they're also tilting you at an angle backwards that they can push on the back wheels forward. So you're spending a lot of time in the position of almost looking up into the sky. 
and uh, that can also put a lot of strain on the body. Yes. Okay, so you got to the second camp. What happened yes. from there? The second camp, which was late at night, that is actually, that was day two. Now, on the day, the, my friend that was traveling with me, she's uh, got a left uh, leg uh, amputated below the knee, or above the knee, sorry. She had actually given up on the second day. Um, she couldn't go on any further. And uh, I made it through to end of day two. And by that time, I felt like, okay, maybe it's time to just call it good. Um, but then I woke up the next morning and I was like, you know what? Nope. Just the next. Let me just get to the next camp. I'll just take it one camp at a time. And uh, we then continued to trek. And on this day, uh, as we were trekking towards base camp, we hit a blizzard in the alpine desert so it's literally like desert it, it was for me it was the sensation or it felt like being on the moon it was just like nothing around you just rock and you know um no shrubbery absolutely nothing just stone and flat land and then we hit a blizzard which lasted for about two hours so then pushing me through this cold snow wind just ice uh, and there's snow everywhere and you just walk in for two hours until you get to, you know, the camp. And that was just in the blizzard, just two hours in the blizzard. I mean, the, the walk itself was way longer than that. Um, but beautiful, you know, I just felt intensely grateful as I was going through all of that to think, you know, I'm able to experience or do what very few people are able to experience. Um, and we just kept until we got to base camp and uh, also when I got into base camp they just pushed me into the room put me immediately under the blankets and brought me some tea and, and they really took such amazing care of us food and everything was sorted um, and I actually then at base camp which is 4,720 meters above sea level so the 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 highest peak, which is Uhuru Peak, is 5,720 meters above sea level. Um, and it would have taken another five-hour trek from base camp to get to Uhuru, which the people were set off to go the next day. Um, after two days at base camp, um, it, I actually decided, well, one day, sorry, the next day, the other um, participants attempted to get to the peak but they couldn't because of a blizzard and because of severe weather. So they had to turn back and even able-bodied people were not able to, to summit on that day. I decided to stay back and not attempt to go to the summit that day with them um, only because I felt that my heartbeat was it just far too, uh, it was beating far too fast. Obviously, as my heart was taking strain because of the altitude as it's trying to pump, you know, more blood. Um, and I was fine. I mean, I, even in the, you know, when they were checking my heartbeat, it was, it was fine to go up. But I knew that if this was what it was like at this altitude, I didn't want to go up another thousand, you know, meters or halfway through and then just be like, no, I actually can't because I'm just feeling, you know, uh, too bad. So I made the decision to, to stay at camp. And uh, that was lovely because at, at base camp, you have people that were climbing up from all different angles of the mountain because there's quite a number of routes 
and uh, you know they get to base camp in the snow and everybody's like got their tents out there and we were luckily inside a, a shelter um, and you know it was just incredibly beautiful and uh, so I actually stayed and we stayed one more day at base camp and I actually stayed there and made that my my peak point and I was very happy um, you know that I didn't make the decision to go further uh, because aid would have been futile and also because I just didn't want to put the lives of my my guides also at risk and and put more strain on them because essentially they are the ones doing the you know the lifting I mean they would be pushing you on snow which has got like a type of a sleet almost underneath it like rock so when you step on it your foot slips and goes back right as, as it's going moving almost like quicksand under your feet um and yeah I made that put up my flag there and made that my peak you've spoken about the beauty can you give us a kind of a description yeah. of what you were able to see and experience from base camp absolutely so um firstly it was just snow everywhere it's just white 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 and uh, the clouds were just absolutely amazing in every direction that you just see this, these, uh, these clouds. And there was this mountain, this one peak in front of us. And uh, the one guy was telling me that that's a technical mountain, that you actually need ropes and that to climb that mountain. It had the most amazing cloud formation above the mountain that looked like a mushroom. You know, obviously oh. been storming on that particular mountain, but it looked so cool because it looked like, yeah, like this mushroom all around this uh, this mountain. And the light is, it was a very particular light. And I was at the top there that morning and one of the guides, because the guides sing constantly and there's this song mm. that they sing um, in Tanzania, which kind of goes, Mambo, Mambo Buona, na, 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 na. And it's such a cool, catchy song. And we ended up in the snow, all of us singing, and there's just these black crows everywhere that um, that are uh, at the top there. That's the only life that you see is these black crows or animal life. Um, you could see off in the distance to Kenya, uh, you know, because of the clouds and everything else, they basically pointed out that general direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but it left me with that incredible appreciation for the fact that I was seeing something that very few people in their life would be able to see. Um, And, you know, what an intense moment and appreciation for getting that far Um, and for just, you know, experiencing, well, yeah, I'm in Africa and yet here I'm in complete snow. (laughs) (laughs) That that concept, that myth that people have that Africa is always hot. (laughs) (laughs) So it's weird because you're leaving, you know, day one, you're leaving tropical uh, Tanzania. I mean, it was storming. It was storming before we left, which also made the first day a bit difficult because remember, obviously, as it storms, the ground is more slippery, more muddy, um, and so it just becomes treacherous um, when when it's wet weather. But it was warm, so you leave this tropical um, paradise of banana leaves and everything, and then a few days later, you you know knee deep in the snow um, and freezing. <laughs> it's, it's quite a 
it's quite an it's quite a experience and everything that the guys just hakuna matata hakuna matata don't worry don't worry <laughs> uh, <laughs> it it sounds like the the guides the porters the the support team that travel with you are a huge part of the the experience of the mountain absolutely, absolutely. So, so often you know everyone talks about climbing up a mountain mm-hmm. but it must be as difficult or there must be equal challenges coming back down what was your trip back down like yeah i must say that the first the first once we left base camp coming back down to the next camp it was mixture of exhilaration joy um and you know how the trip down always the trip coming home always seems quicker than the trip going yes. somewhere yes yeah <laughs> so uh so because you know by this time now i was so happy we we've gone we came we saw we conquered and now you're on our way home and i just kept thinking the lower we go the warmer it's getting the warmer it's getting <laughs> so <laughs> so it is cool to be amongst all of the snow and just i think i was more in the moment then coming back because i could now relax into it my guides knew what to do we had crossed the terrain before um this time being the alpine desert and i could just sit back and just take it in take it in and when when we left there was no blizzard so luckily that that was in our favor um up until a certain point it's fine where it was flat and then you obviously go steep going down and that was at, there were some parts the going down was actually worse than the going up um just because of the steepness of the you know the shapes of the rocks and how they got to get you down and those kind of things and uh so at times it was more difficult but we didn't ascend completely on our own in fact because of the journey and of the strain on all of us um we actually took the decision that we were going to get down to the next camp and then that's the only camp where they are allowed to send like an ambulance up um just to get everybody down again to base camp so we didn't make we didn't come down all the way um it was just going to be you know physically just to taxi on everybody um and so yeah for the parts that we did for the for the first two days that we did walk down it was yeah sometimes it was fine but sometimes it was actually worse and uh and then we took the car down just thinking about particularly traveling down somewhere yeah in a in a wheelchair there's that extra fear of mm. falling forwards yes yes absolutely wow i so i just i just clawed onto my wheelchair um or i would somehow just put my arm around you know the neck of the guy in front of me or to just kind of push keep my hand on him but it's 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 nerve-wracking it 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 really is because as you said 
you're going down, possibly at an angle. Um, it's faster, therefore there's more chance for the person to lose their footing as well. That's pushing you. You've got gravelly rocks that's falling un under your feet. So, yeah, it it can be, and and it would have gotten worse the fur further down we went. So you know, for the middle section. So I'm really really glad that we that we got out when we did that we took the car down to to the entry entry level again. Wow, that sounds like quite an experience. Yeah. Never to be repeated. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yet never to be forgotten. Or I, I would and imagine never, to, never be to be regretted either. <laughs> never. No, I, trust me, I, I said as well, I'd, I'd go back to the National Park, maybe not go all the way up, but it was, I don't regret a single moment. Of it. it was absolutely beautiful. And I loved it. But it's like one of, one of those things that said, okay, I've gone, I've, I've done it, I've seen it. Um, I've been there. and. Now I want to do another, you know, nothing as insane, um, but see a new place. <laughs> How would you sum up the, the kind of the impact of, of going up Kilimanjaro from now, sort of three or four months after the effect? What, what were the, the, the changes in yourself, the impact of taking that trip? Um. You know, it. I think above all else, it just cemented what I already knew about myself and my ability to face challenges. I think it more cemented it in the minds of other people. But within myself, you know, I am someone that loves to try new things and uncomfortable things. And I don't just, you know, I work in the luxury industry, so... You know, March Pass is like, but you just like the luxury travel side of things. No, I love exploring life and I'm not afraid to be uncomfortable and to sleep in a sleeping bag and on the floor, wherever. Um, and so, you know, it was coming face to face with that aspect that I knew about myself, that I could overcome this and do this. Um, emotionally, I must say that after... After, because it was so taxing, it was so good to come down into lockdown and just feel like I didn't have to come down and go straight into work because essentially it wasn't a holiday that I went on. You know, um, we, we did some pretty grueling stuff getting up that mountain. Both and physically so and felt, emotionally. Yeah, physically and emotionally. So it felt really good to come down and have that excuse now, thanks to lockdown, to just be at home um, and, you know, just kind of to catch my breath. Uh, it ignited a love in me for Tanzania. That's beauty. I definitely want to go back, hopefully. Um, I, if the, the lockdown situation is cleared by December, January, I'd love to go up. This time to, to Zanzibar, though, um, and just lay on the beach and soak up the sun. <laughs> I'm done with the cold of that with me. <laughs> rather go lay on the beach with a cocktail, but definitely want to go back. Um, so it's it ignited, as I said, that love of wanting to travel around Africa more. Um, and, you know, 
in other parts also just made me feel extremely proud of myself um, for having done what I set out to do. And I didn't at all feel disappointed that I didn't go up to the peak because for me, it wasn't like, I didn't look at it as, as a way of thinking I need to go and I need to get to the top. Otherwise I failed this expedition. Uh, absolutely not. I just took it with, I'm going to go up every day, just do my best and just see what my body says to me. Um, and if it's saying, oh, this is enough, then that's enough. Uh, you know, I love my life. And so that was more important than getting to the peak of somewhere. But, you know, I got to base camp, which is so high in and of itself, uh, a miracle to reach that far. So many able-bodied people that were even in the same hotel as, as we were, never made it to base camp actually came down after a day or two. Um, so it was an amazing feat. Um, super proud of not myself, but the team uh, that went, the others that attempted to go to, to, to the summit as well. And they just also kept me motivated and, you know, as we laughed and, and got through the day together. Um, so, yeah, emotionally... It was stressful, et cetera, et cetera, but I was glad that I came home um, in the lockdown, which is also a bit difficult for me at that time because my dad had been sick with cancer. He has subsequently passed away. Um, and I remember being on the mountain just thinking, you know, that I want to, my worst fear that was that he would pass or that, you know, get really ill when I was on the mountain. Um, and I just wanted to get home as well to tell him about it because if I think I got my love of adventure, no, I think I know, and love of nature from my father, um, who would always support me in these kind of things in, you know, adventure. And my dad's a fisherman and also traveled and hikes and, you know, those kind of things. So um, I felt as well that it was also such a positive experience for me to come back and to tell him of my trip and to know that he was proud of me for having achieved that. And even though he passed away on the 10th of May, um, you know, for me, it, it feels like I'm glad that I could make him proud uh, just before he left this earth. I know that I did in so many other ways, but, you know, doing something this epic, uh, because I know it's something that he would have wanted to have done as well. It sounds like that was a special memory that you can share with, you could yeah. share that with him. Yeah. Aaron, if people would like to reach out to you to find out a little bit more about your work or about your, your journey, how can they do so? Hmm. Well, people can definitely follow me um, if there are any Instagrammers out there. Um, on Instagram, I've got two uh, handles, social media handles. So the one is at Taryn Tomlinson, just T-A-R-R-Y-N, and then Tomlinson, T-O-M-L-I-N-S-O-N. Or they can reach out at Able to Travel. So that's A-B-L-E, and with the numeral two, uh, travel. I'm on Facebook at Able to Travel as well. Um, people could also just generally Google uh, me and the, you would find quite a bit of ways to to reach out to me, but also on my email address, uh, 
at tarantom at gmail.com. Wonderful. Thank you. Now, a final question, and this, this might be a tough question, but if someone were to come to you and say that they were thinking of attempting to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, which after all is the highest peak in Africa, what advice would you give to them? Oh, gosh, I would say absolutely go do it. I would say contact me so I can put you in touch with the people that planned our one because they've now got experience, so it won't be the first <laughs> the first rodeo for them. Um, and I would say go with a support team that are really people that have the ability to stay positive um, because that is also one of the biggest factors when you are ascending a mountain. You want to go with people that are warm, people who will are encouraging, not people that's locked up in a lot of their own dramas and stuff like that. Because as someone with a disability, you need people around you that are level-headed and who can take control because you're going to feel out of your depths many moments. Um, and so, you know, besides the actual physical training, making sure that your assistive devices is really, you know, so for example, I would say with you, like you were saying with a cane, you know, that gets uh, um, stuck in cobbles and stuff like that. You know, I, I'm not sure if you, do you get it type of device, which is like a flattening piece that you can attach to the bottom of the cane there are a number yeah there are a number of different kind of cane tips that one could use depending on the terrain you're expecting yes on the terrain yeah so I would just do like those kind of research into you know your own physical disability and what modifications you would need to make like you you know whether you need to have your wheelchair modified or all those kind of things but then the rest of it just go up with a really fun team because the guides are going to be great and they're going to carry your luggage and, you know, they're going to push you up there. So the people that you need in your corner is your, your, your motivational team. It was really great for me to have the opportunity to chat to Taryn about her recent trip. Taryn will be back on a future episode where we'll start digging into the hospitality industry and how it can be made more accommodating for those of us with special needs. If you enjoyed the podcast, why not tell a friend? Or better yet, review us on iTunes. That's the best way for us to increase the audience that the podcast can reach. That's pretty much it from me, your host, Lois Strachan. I'm going to leave you with a travel quote from Aesop, who said, Adventure is worthwhile. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. That's it from us for this time. You can find Accessible South Africa on the web at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za, on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible South Africa, and on Twitter at Accessible SA. You can also email us at podcast at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za. 
editing by Craig Stratton using Hinderberg software. Our theme music is by Lu Chil Chow, based on a motif by Lord Stratton. Credits read by Musa Izulu. Thank you for joining us on a different way of traveling. We'll see you next time. Until then, happy travels.